Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a Bible, would you put a hand up, please? We've got volunteers who are going to make sure the Bibles get handed out and everybody's got a copy of God's Word. Turn to page 799. If you've got your own Bible and know your way around, go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I know it's Christmas. You're shocked that we're going to Matthew chapter 1. What a surprise. There really were only a couple of options, truth be told. We're going to Luke. We're going to Matthew. If I go to Revelation 12, everybody curls into the fetal position, so we're not doing that this year, although it's appropriate. Isaiah 9, right? Only a few options. We right now are in a four-week series called Christmas at the Movies because Christmas movies are fun. And every one of them, whether we realize it or not, all art forms make truth claims. They're all telling us something. Even if the main objective is to entertain us, there are messages throughout. And so we're using different Christmas films as a launching pad, as an excuse, I say, to get to talk about Jesus. So that's what we're doing. If you missed last week, allow me to recap Last week, we did Nightmare Before Christmas, where we found out a very countercultural narrative is really popular out there, where Jack Skellington takes over Christmas, and instead of the world having to conform to his own self-chosen definition of reality, he actually humbles himself and says, you know what? Christmas is awesome when Santa is in charge. And so he saves Santa, and then Santa saves Christmas And he goes back to doing what he's good at. He's scary, and so he runs Halloween. Santa is jolly, and so he runs Christmas. Fascinating, right? Again, the, the water that we drink and the air that we breathe today is that if I decide I am something, everybody else has to fall in line. My feelings are inherently and always true and valid, and you cannot tell me otherwise, right? Um, Tim Burton, perhaps accidentally, said the opposite. Tim Burton said, no, your feelings could be entirely wrong. You could end up ruining Christmas. Let Santa be in charge of Christmas. And so we discussed, what does it look like to have a truly Christ-centered Christmas? If Jesus is not in charge of our Christmas, things are going to go sideways, right? So that's what we covered last week. This week, we're talking part two, white Christmas. Who, it was like... Santa wouldn't come to your house every year growing up unless you had already watched White Christmas. Did anybody grow up in that family? Just me, huh? Well, we were under threat. I was less than four years old, and I was told explicitly there would be no presents except Cole if we did not watch the movie in its entirety. Who watched it, like, maybe every other year? You saw it a good amount. Who's maybe seen it once or twice? Okay, no judgment. Who has never seen White Christmas? Handful. Okay, good. Well, I'm, that, that validates this next slide because I was planning on telling you the story. So, Bing Crosby, which a lot of us, some of us have to like go on Wikipedia to find out who Bing Crosby is anymore. <laughs> Used to be a gargantuan name. Uh, Bing Crosby and Company, off of the heels of a very famous song, White Christmas, and I forget who directed it. They said, let's put together a movie in the search of more money. I mean, in the search of the Christmas spirit, um, because this song is so popular. So they put a couple of singers and a couple of dancers and made them the four leads and made sure that they fell in love by the end and have a um, nostalgic, 
positive emotion, fluffy, like Hallmark Channel didn't exist. Would Hallmark Channel even have existed if it weren't for White Christmas? Probably not. Um, but what happens is these two fellas were in World War II together. They were in the army in France. And so they have, of course, the same general. And they establish how much this general loves his men and how much the men love the general. Ten years go by and the general is retired and has sunk his life savings into a hotel up in Vermont, a ski lodge, and there is no snow. It hasn't been for weeks and weeks and weeks, and their, their hotel is on the verge of bankruptcy. Well, these two guys have gone back to the States and have become uh, high-powered, high-dollar entertainers. People pay big money to come see their show. So the long and short of it, even though there's lots of singing and dancing and choreography, steps, what happened to steps, it's all about choreography, um, Again, about 10 of you haven't seen it, so that's not going to make sense. Uh, they decide, if we take our show up to Vermont, the Millers, ooh, I'm coming over to your house and we're watching. You're going to get put on the naughty list. Uh, anyway, they say if we're high-powered entertainers that people will travel to come see us, let's go to the General's uh, Ski Lodge and everybody will come and business will be great and blah, blah, blah. We'll honor the General, we'll surprise him. Um, so they do it, and it works, and they get the girls. So it's all just, everything is up and to the right. Everything goes great. Um, plenty of comedy in between. Guys, it's the, if you haven't seen it's the definition of a feel-good film. I'm going to be providing some important critique later, so let me just tell you right now, critique doesn't mean it's not very enjoyable. Okay? It's a feel-good film. I probably watch it every year or almost every year. It's great for a laugh, um, but that doesn't mean that anywhere in the journey, it doesn't mean that in their pursuit of snow and in their pursuit of love and their pursuit of patriotism and their pursuit of loyalty and friendship, it doesn't mean that Jesus showed up anywhere, okay? And as I said last week, when I said you're not going to hell for listening to Jingle Bell Rock, but neither is it feeding your soul, a feel-good film you're not going to hell. Jesus is not in heaven marking points against you. Just be honest. If you're a Christian, be honest about what is and what is not feeding your soul. This is for fun, right? If you're doing it for fun, you're doing it for fun. Awesome. Great. It is not inspiring and inciting worship inside your heart. It can't because Jesus isn't there, right? Okay. Glad we covered that. You guys are all really excited. Note takers, grab your pens. Some of us are in a world where Christmas is shallow year after year. That is our existence for some of us. Every year, it's a mile wide, it's an inch deep. If Jack Skellington experienced Christmas and he could feel it, but his mind was engaged and he wanted to study it and he wanted to learn and he's reading all these books, he's trying to dig Guys, let's be honest about American culture in the 21st century. How many people can feel the warm feelings of Christmas and they don't go dig? Who can hear, millions of us is the answer, who can hear Celine Dion piping through the mall's speakers singing Oh Holy Night and never ask a question about what that's about? Every one of us is eminently capable of feeling some warm feelings for Christmas, but not taking a step toward Christ at all. 
In fact, doctrinally, what we would say about Jack Skellington's experience is the only reason he started digging is because the Holy Spirit was wooing him. You and I, what's more normal is to float from song to joke to song to joke to, oh, isn't that nice? Oh, it's snowing, the movie's over. And that was our December. That is a normal December until the Holy Spirit of the living God makes somebody hungry. Until the Holy Spirit of the God makes somebody curious. Until the Holy Spirit of the living God says, you know there's more to Christmas, right? There are, at least in my analysis, at least seven core values. And I don't mean to pick on white Christmas. Tons and tons of Christmas movies do this. But I... I I, when I analyzed it, I came up with seven core values that are clearly promulgated in the movie. Watch this awesome dance routine. Entertainment. It's so good to see our fellow soldiers. Patriotism. See how we support the general? Loyalty. I'm sure it'll snow soon. The weather. No joke, listen to the song. It's all about the weather. Anyway. Just like the ones I used to know. Nostalgia. Oh, they're getting married. Romance. We told another funny joke. Laughter. Right? Lots of positive things to distract, to entertain, to make one feel good. Uh, but it, it would seem that without Jesus, C.S. Lewis writing 80 years ago really was correct. It can always be winter and still never Christmas. That's a thing. And it's not something that Jesus Christ wants for you. In fact, he took on flesh, he went to a cross, he raised himself to new life so that you could be reconciled to him by his blood. You could be reconciled to his father. That we could live the way we're supposed to be, the creator and the creation, in glad harmony, in joy, in right relationship. He went to a cross so that you would not have a shallow Christmas. We already had plenty of pagan shallow holidays. We'd been doing that for a long time before Jesus came. But he wants something more. What's missing from a deep and meaningful Christmas is a God who forgives sin. That's what's missing. The God who forgives sin. So, page 799, everybody else who turns to Matthew 1. Let's take a look. I'm going to read the whole section, verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Start with me at verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
So there's something culturally that we just lost as we read verse 21, because we're not first century Jews. The name means the Lord saves. That's what Jesus means. The Lord saves. All caps. Which Lord? The I am. The one who spoke to Moses. The one who gave the law. The one who led us through the wilderness. The one who smashed Pharaoh. The one who created us. He saves. That's what Jesus means. Verse 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it would seem that God's definition of Christmas starts with a humanity that needs saving. Right? Does that mean snow is bad? No. Does that mean patriotism is bad? No. Does that mean loyalty is bad? No. It's just not what the primal human condition is. Those are all wonderful things. But let me ask a ludicrous question to make things obvious. If at the start of your life, actually, let's make it worse, you give birth to a child, and God says to you, you get to pick. This child is going to live to the ripe age of 90 and experience wonderful Christmases year after year where there are snow and gifts and friends. Or your child is going to know their creator. Guys, that's not even, you don't have to think about that one. That's insane. That's insane. 90 years of snow versus eternity with the God who loves you and made you. 90 years of presence or the only gift that matters, right? 90 years of friends and the right music and the right decorations. What on earth could that possibly matter if, as Solomon said, you and I's life, pull out a Windex bottle. That's you. That's me. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. Somebody with gray hair, would you testify that a decade, if you blink, you lose a decade, it just goes by? Would somebody testify? Okay. You blink and a decade goes by. Why? You're getting closer and closer to Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes. You're starting to see it from Solomon's perspective. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Want to feel good at Christmas time? Open up Ecclesiastes. <laughs> What is missing from a deep and meaningful Christmas is a God who forgives sin. It is crazy how much of the cultural narrative right now about Christianity, uh, it, it's weird how it puts, uh, the narrative seems to sound like Christianity is on the defense when the scriptures tell us the exact opposite and church history tells us the exact opposite. The cultural narrative right now is, well, is Christianity relevant? And they do not have anything for the modern world. The world is changing, blah, blah, blah. 
as if the world has never changed before and as, as if the gospel has not sowed life and peace into people's lives in every cultural context where it's traveled. A century goes by, that tomb is still empty. Another century goes by, hey, look at that, the tomb is still empty. Another century goes by, different language, different continent. Hey, I've got an empty tomb for you. You think the God who can create all these cultures is smart enough to redeem all of them? You think God is thrown off that a couple hundred years went by, this dialect of English kind of went that way and that dialect went that way and oh, are there gonna be missionaries? Listen, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to call, he knows how to send. He can make rocks cry out. The church is on the offense, brothers and sisters. Remember that little line? The gates of hell will not prevail against her. Gates are defensive, right? You and I have spiritual super soakers. We fight against every dark thing. Every dark thing. Or else we're wasting our time on the sidelines. A Christmas about positive emotion is heartbreaking if the message of Christmas is God wants to reconcile you to himself and then send you on a mission to help others be reconciled to him, pushing back with light every dark thing. The real Christmas is is an identity for you when you and I have been searching, scrambling for one, finding identity in small gods that don't sustain. This is hope. I know who I am now. I have permission to be small. I don't have to keep the earth spinning on its axis. I'm not God. I don't have to defend. I don't have to create all of ethics. I don't have to decide for myself what's right and wrong and hope it sustains. He saved you. Merry Christmas. He saved you. It means you needed saving. It means I needed saving. I don't like being Debbie Downer from this pulpit, but there's nothing on your little screen. There's nothing, there's no one anywhere telling you that you filed for divorce from God. We all did it. It's in the third chapter of the book. We filed for divorce. And instead of God smiting us, he sent his son. Merry Christmas. He saved you. A shallow Christmas is all of the the presents and the decorations and I am still in the chains of my sin. I am condemned before a righteous and holy God. There is no hope for my future. There is no hope for my eternity. My purpose is built on shifting sand. And I'm supposed to be comforted by shiny tinsel and reindeer? That's just as comforting as Easter eggs and bunnies when what you need is resurrection.
So the question for you, ARCF Foundation, if you're exploring faith, maybe this is a question for inside your own soul. How can a Christian serve a friend who ignores the shallowness of their Christmas experience? I understand this question's really offensive, and if you're not sure what you think of Jesus yet, this might be particularly offensive. Because I am claiming that spiritually you've stuck your head in the sand on some key issues. And I just want to submit to you that it is the Bible that tells you that, not me. So I want to encourage you to wrestle with God. God has told us that we have chosen darkness, we preferred it to the light. Sometimes that means putting your fingers in your ears and going la 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 when God is speaking. And yet, if you're not sure what you think of Jesus and you're in the room, then what does that mean? Except that maybe God is trying to get through to you. So we're glad you're here. Those of you who love Jesus, you got a friend who ignores the shallowness of the experience year after year after year. How do you love and serve your friend? Can we agree that status quo is way easier? Oh my goodness. I don't tell you my view of what's right, you don't tell me your view, and we just enjoy a meal together, sing some songs, bounce. All of the armies of darkness are fighting to maintain status quo in American culture right now. You don't talk about religion. Not at the Christmas table. You're supposed to put out a sign that says you're invited to the Christmas Eve service and just if they don't come, then they don't come? Let me ask an important soul-searching question. I don't want anybody to be bummed, but we need to ask it. Is putting out on the sign, hey, we've got Christmas Eve services and you're invited, is that missions? I've got one vote for no. One vote for yes. And the wise 98% said nothing because they knew Greg was about to answer it. <laughs> Guys, it's not missions until you've moved. It's not missions until you have engaged cultural barriers and overcome them. It's not missions until you've shed tears, not knowing, God, God, how are you gonna break through? It's not missions until you depend on God to make it happen. God put on flesh and came to earth and learned a culture and learned a language and learned a political system, operated inside of it, honored his parents, obeyed them, grew in knowledge and wisdom and goodwill with men. Like, I want the sign to invite people to church. I do. It's not missions until it's uncomfortable. It's not missions until it's hard. As David said, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. How do I help a friend who is only experiencing the external trappings of Christmas and they're doing it year after year after year? They do not know their creator. Maybe there's even been a, a, a cold shoulder, like, don't talk to me about that Jesus stuff. Although that's not actually dominant culture anymore. People are more open than we realize. The answer is that you go out and paint one of your cows purple. We can close in prayer now.
Seth Godin is a marketing guru with a famous blog, and he's authored dozens and dozens of books. One is called The Purple Cow. He asks the question, if you own a dairy on the side of a highway and you paint one of your cows purple, will more people notice and turn their heads and look at the purple cow than notice and look at a normal cow? Of course. The human brain, unless you're a little child who's never seen a cow before, the human brain already has an image of a cow. The human brain already has expectations, roughly the size, the shape, the markings, the behavior. There are some assumptions. And what happens when you paint your cow purple? Purple milk. Go ahead and hop on Twitter, guys. Just put that down. Carl Miller. <laughs> Incredibly insightful. Um, what happens is, I just shattered your expectations. Guys, when you shatter somebody's expectations, they can't ignore you anymore. Does that make sense? If everything goes exactly according to plan, I can stay on autopilot. But if I am on autopilot toward hell because I am a sinner and I'm not really willing to admit it to myself and I'm definitely not willing to admit it to God and I may not even have any Christian friends or if I have Christian friends, we don't talk about religion, I'm gonna go through Christmas the exact same way I've always gone through Christmas and I'll be fine, leave me alone. But if that cow's purple, my assumptions are not met. Something, what, huh? And you naturally turn your head. ARCF Foundation, between now and Christmas Day, the people that you love dearly at work, the people you love dearly next door neighbors, they've got assumptions about how this Christmas is gonna go. And my call to you is to go down to Lowe's and buy a nice big can of purple paint and find one of your cows and paint it. Because our city needs to be jolted awake. Because we love them. And because God loves them. They need to be jolted awake. So here's how you paint the cow purple. Are you ready? This isn't in the notes. And if you're a note taker, jot this down down below or on the back side. Some of you are going to need to pull out your phones and make a plan. Have a Christmas party. Is our culture starved for connection? Like, wasn't it starved before lockdown? What if you invited somebody into your home and you treated them really well and fed them good food? What if they're in your home for two or three hours and that's the first time they've seen a Christian marriage on display? If you're married. Hmm? More people than you and I think, 
more people in our city are not going to get invited to a bona fide in my home just because Christmas party. There are work parties that are oftentimes obligatory. Oh, I see them enough. (laughs) A vast majority, I would argue, of our city will not get invited to a bona fide, please come into my home and let me feed you good food. Christmas party, let's break bread. Let's be together. Guys, hospitality, I promise you, hospitality and prayer are the first two steps toward effective evangelism in the 21st century. Hospitality is like an ace in the hole that the church has that everybody else doesn't really have. They're trying to figure it out or they're avoiding it. A genuine Christmas party could be a very, very purple cow. Something else? For those bold people out there that love coffee and tea? Take somebody out for coffee. Go hang out. And I want you to ask them a question. Ask your friend what they're hoping to get out of Christmas this year. Can we agree that we love hanging around people who are excellent question askers? Just have fun hanging out with people that are good question askers, get us talking about ourselves. I dare you to take somebody to coffee this week. I dare you to take them out to coffee and ask them, tell me what are your goals? What do you hope is going to happen this Christmas? I don't even need to instruct you on the rest of the conversation. Just get them talking about what their hopes are for Christmas. It'll very quickly expose whether those hopes are realistic and they have no foundation to them, whether those hopes are very, very small and you offer a bigger hope. Take somebody to coffee and ask them a genuine question about them and their hopes and their dreams for this season because they're not expecting that to happen. That cow is purple. I know that those of us who are younger, this doesn't resonate with us, but it's definitely a cultural institution. To write a Christmas letter, you send it out to your family, and this is what's been going on with us and with the kids over the last year. I want to encourage you, if you love Jesus and you send one of those out, I want to encourage you to be more bold than you might typically be. And and I'm going to say this, and I, I really, it is not my desire to sound critical, so please hear my heart in this. It may have been culturally appropriate once upon a time to assume a lot of things, that your Christmas letter says something general like the Lord's been good, to use the word blessing instead of luck, okay? These subtleties, I want to press on you, ARCF Foundation, they're no longer good enough. However lost this culture was 40 years ago, it is more lost now. It is lost as a goose. And subtle external Christian language isn't going to cut it anymore. I want to encourage you. It does not have to be awkward in the least. I want to encourage you in any and all of your communication to be more explicit in how you testify of the goodness of God. So I'll hand it to you. I'll spoon feed it to you right now. You ready? Our family 
is having so much fun this Christmas season celebrating the God who forgave our sins, period, space, space. And then write your letter. Didn't need a theology degree for that, did you? Brothers and sisters, your friends don't know. Your family doesn't know. They know that you go to church. They know that there's conflict when they come into town as whether they need to go to church with you. They do not know. Tell them that God came to save them. Tell them they need saving. Tell them that they need saving, not because you're a Christian looking down your nose at them, but because a holy God has told them they need saving. And he loves us enough to save us, not just let us wallow in the mud. You know another way you could paint that cow purple? Let's be honest for a moment. Raise your hand if sometimes at Christmas... You purchase a gift and send it because you have to. Any obligation in gift giving? Yeah, for a goodly number of us. I don't think obligatory gift giving, I don't think that's purple. I want to challenge you to find somebody that you're not excited about giving a gift because this is the gospel, not that I gave a great gift to my wife that I'm in love with. That's not the gospel. The gospel is my mean, nasty uncle who keeps talking about politics at the Thanksgiving table every year and everyone's upset that he's coming, that I went above and beyond to give an incredible gift to him. The gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't die for those who were already his friends. He died to make us his friends. If you want to paint that cow purple, I want you to think of the orneriest most cantankerous, frustrating family member or coworker. And I want you to stop and take a deep breath and I want you to pray and say, Lord, what is a gift that will really communicate your love to this person? What's purple? What's purple? Here's per- something that's purple. You know what people are not expecting to be asked this season? Ask your friend if they hope to experience anything spiritual during the Christmas season. This is back to not assuming. Do not assume. Please, please, please. Ask your friend, hey, are you hoping to experience anything spiritual this Christmas? The answer might be no. The answer may very well be, I haven't thought of it. And maybe the answer is yes. Christian, can you serve a friend who's just answered that question? They've just told you, yes, I am really hoping to experience something spiritual this Christmas and this is my plan to go get it. Or I am hoping to experience something spiritual this Christmas and I have no idea how I'm gonna get it. Or I haven't thought about it, that's a good question. Or if they're really good at reciprocity and communication, maybe they go, I don't know, what about you? Are you planning on experiencing anything spiritual this Christmas? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) 
Because you and I who love Jesus, we get so accustomed to thinking that spirituality is the foundation of Christmas and fun things like movies and dinner parties get added on. But for our city, it's the decorations and it's the presents and it's the music and maybe God steps in and maybe he doesn't. Maybe God gets included and maybe he doesn't. We have to flip the script on our thinking if we're gonna be missionaries in our own city. We cannot presume that God is gonna get invited to Christmas this year. He oftentimes doesn't get invited. And then as I emphasized last week, another way you can paint the cow purple, and then we're gonna pray. If you're terrified to bring a friend to coffee, if you're terrified to ask them if they're hoping for something to experience something spiritual this year, then we have a piece of low-hanging fruit for you. Bring your friend to one of our candlelight services. It'll be on the 22nd and the 24th at 6 p.m. And guys, I want to be really, really clear. There's going to be some nostalgia at those services, but nostalgia will not be the point. Right? There's going to be some friendship and the feelings of koinonia, but that's not the point. There'll be lots of things that elicit inherently positive emotions and yet positive emotion is not the point of a candlelight service. The point of a candlelight service is to give God praise and invite my friend to do the same maybe for the first time. You've never praised him before because you've never seen him for who he is. And so that preacher is gonna get up there and he's gonna tell you who the savior is. And the songs we're gonna sing about who the Savior is and his goodness and his mercy and his love. Brothers and sisters, if you don't paint something purple, if we don't paint something purple, our friends are going to miss Christmas again. They're going to miss it. And let me say something that sounds burdensome, but it's not. It's up to us. It's up to us. And I don't mean to say that like God's not on his throne and he's not sovereign. I'm just saying we are the jars of clay with this precious gospel. Like we're broken, we're frail, we're messed up. It's not about us. What's precious is what's inside, amen? The good news of who Jesus is is what's exciting and what's beautiful and what's powerful. But we're the delivery vessel. You and I are the Amazon truck driver of Christmas, We can't see the sign that says don't knock. We drop the package. Maybe it's late. Everybody wants to go, that Christian's a hypocrite. Yeah, 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 you're not looking at the gift. Everybody loves Amazon because of what's in the box, not because of the driver. That was for free. I'm gonna pray because if the Holy Spirit does not make us assent people, we won't be one. Lord Jesus, I want to ask you for something that I haven't really mentioned yet. Um, I suppose this entire sermon, Lord, is worthless uh, if we do not have hearts that are uh, desperately yearning for the lost to be found. 
So I ask you first to shake Christians out of our comfort. Shake us out of our normal. God, remind us of what it was like when our Christmases were shallow. Remind us of what it felt like when somebody told us about Jesus and we believed you for the first time. God, please, as a church, as individuals, help us to believe and to feel that people not knowing their creator is absolutely intolerable. Engage our passions, God, so that we will move, so that we will speak, so that we will serve, so that we will testify. God, help us to be Linus in a culture that has no clue. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd help each individual saint in the room to take their next step of obedience. I ask that you'd put on each of our minds a specific person that we need to pursue relationship with this Christmas and tell them of the goodness of God. Lord, those of us who've been knowing we need to host a Christmas party but we've been riding the fence, would you push us so that we're no longer riding that fence? God, those of us who know deep down who we should send an incredible Christmas gift to but we're fighting it, we're coming up with arguments in our head for why it's a bad idea. God, would you push us toward obedience?